And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Album. Glad to have you joining us here. I am the author of Tuesdays with Maury, the book upon which this podcast is inspired. Even 25 years later, a lot of the lessons learned from sitting alongside my dying college professor still resonate today, and we explore some of them in this podcast and share the ideas with you. Get some input from you as well. Alongside, as always, is my friend and producer of this podcast, Lisa Goich. Lisa, good to see you. I'm just back from Haiti, so... Nice to see you, too. You you look refreshed. <laughs> you feeling refreshed? I do. Every time I go and <laughs> spend a- <laughs> time with the uh, kids there, it's the most refreshing thing. may not be the uh, wealthiest country. In fact, it's the second poorest country in the world. And uh, staying in an orphanage is not like staying at uh, Four Seasons. But uh, I always come back refreshed. I always sleep better there, too. Interestingly, it's uh, I have some occasional trouble sleeping at different places and even at home sometimes, certainly in hotel rooms. But when I go down there, even on a four-inch mattress, I sleep great. I sleep great and knocked out, wake up to the sound of kids screaming outside. And that's usually about 6.05 a.m. If the nice. kids don't, don't happen to be screaming, the roosters uh, are screaming <laughs> and, the, uh, and the dogs in the street are barking. And so there's, you do not need an alarm clock. At our orphanage in Haiti, that's for is sure. Is there separate sleeping quarters? I've never been there for like yeah. the, for you than there are for the kids, or do you all sleep in the same? Well, we all sleep in the same place, but not in the same room or anything like that. Our building is kitty corner. The building that I sleep in is kitty corner to the building that they sleep in. Uh, mm-hmm. But some guests sleep in the building where I am as well. But I mean, we're mm-hmm. right. Or a stone's throw away. It's ten yards yeah. away. It's not. So like you still a, can hear the, not like the across the campus. The <laughs> oh yeah, I can hear everything. Yeah, somebody yells I out the go window. There one day. Yeah, somebody yells. Yeah. We 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 respond. So anyhow, it's a wonderful yeah. place. If you want to find out more about what we do down there, you can always go to havefaithhaiti.org and see the entire history of of our time at the uh, orphanage and the kids and all the latest and. There's some very funny videos of of whatever the latest things the kids are doing. Little Chica's brother, you know, Chica, who I wrote about, our little girl from Finding Mm -hmm. Chica. So her baby brother is with us. And for some reason, uh, we had spaghetti night, and and, uh, one of the Italian volunteers down there uh, got this music box out, you know, big speakers, and started playing Mambo Italiano. Uh, Uh I think the uh, Dean Martin version. And... Mm -hmm. Chica's brother, Moise, who is just the most playful kid and strong, uh, just jumped up on the seat of the gazebo and started doing a dance to Mambo Italiano that I've never seen Uh, before. It was kind uh, of a butt shake dance, but since he's uh, (laughs) six or seven years old, it's just funny. It's just a funny dance, and he's smiling. He's he's never heard the song before, but it's it's a great promo for Mambo Italiano if I wanted to release a music video. Uh, that is great. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like he's got a little of Chica in him in oh, his yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, playfulness. Yeah. yeah. His playfulness and his showmanship. Yeah. He likes to uh-huh. be center likes to be center stage. So uh anyhow, that's a wonderful place and a wonderful thing. And and um I'm always happy when I come back from there. Meanwhile, we're happy to talk to you today. And uh today I wanted to talk about sort of something that happened at the very, very beginning of Maury's story. And something that uh, it just so happens in the past, gosh, about week or two, um, there's been some bad news 
going about in members of my family or friends or circle of my community of people who have just gotten some bad news, most of it medical, you know, uh, bad reports or a bad MRI or a bad CAT scan or something like that. And it occurred to me that with all the things that we've talked about with Maury's situation, we haven't yet spoken about how to handle bad news, how to handle something that can really shake up your world. And of course, Maury went through this himself, getting a diagnosis of ALS. Now, this is Mm -hmm. appropriate, whether we're talking about um, medical news or a job-related thing, you know, you get fired or you find out that you, after interviewing for all this time, you didn't get hired for something, or a court setback, uh, you know, something legal, some challenge. So it's not always just a medical report. But uh, it was for Maury. And there are things that that, uh, I think we can take from this as a blueprint for how to try to handle getting really bad news. Now, let's let's establish, I think it, it, it helps to find out sort of, and be honest with yourself, what kind of person are you when it comes to bad news? Are you, for example, Lisa, let me, let me ask you, you know, and, and by de facto asking you, ask everybody else. Uh-huh. Are you the kind of person that when there's potential for bad news, do uh-huh. you want to know right away or do you yes. want to delay it? No, I want to know right away. And I come from a family that doesn't tell us bad news. Hmm. We just went through this recently. Um, my dad was in the ho- is in the hospital right now. And my family has this, my family, a.k.a. my brother, has this strange uh, thing about not telling any of us. Uh, so then he told me and he told my sister, but he was like, I couldn't tell my nieces, who, by the way, are like 40 years old so, hmm. and have children of their own. And one of them's an emergency room doctor. So yeah, not exactly kids. Yeah. So they don't find out about things for like a week later when the trouble's over and the person's already home. <laughs> uh, it's not their choice, but that's the, the choice that's given to them. I want to know. You would right prefer now. to know. You want to know now. And uh, if a doctor, you know, you're waiting on a report to come back, Mm. uh, do you want those results right away? Or do you say, they say, well, we can call you tonight or we can call you in the morning. Uh, You say, call me tonight. Call me tonight. Call me before tonight. Okay. Call me before. Because otherwise I'm going to be thinking about it, aren't you? What do you do? Would you rather know now? uh, Well, I would rather never know. (laughs) But (laughs) given the choice that I can't never know. I guess knowing quicker would, would be better because I torture myself. Uh, it's, it's a terrible trait that I have. I worry about things that don't even prove to be uh, true. I, if I get any yeah. kind of medical you know, hint of something, well, we're going to test. We, you know, we don't think it's anything, but we're just going to see if, it, you know, make sure it's nothing. I just assume it's something. I just assume it's right. terrible. And, and, and I, I read into, like, I haven't heard from them. That means they must be discussing it and worrying about it or, you know, I, all kinds of crazy things. So it's good to yeah. determine, like, what type you are first. Are you the, I can handle it, I'm fine, you know, whatever it is, I'm good. Or are you the, oh, my God, I'm assuming the worst. Because it helps to kind of know that beforehand. So answer that question for yourselves, everybody out there. Determine what category you are. All right. Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Maury's case, he suspected that there might be something wrong because of some signs that he was getting early. And this is another thing you have to ask yourself. Are you the kind of person who pursues 
the bad news if you suspect that there might be something. And, and again, this is not just medical. What if you start getting signals at work that something might mm. be happening, people aren't talking to you quite the same way, somebody mm. isn't answering your calls, uh, who usually mm. does. Are you the kind of person who says, hey, I need to address this. You go down to that person's office and you say, listen, this may be nothing, but uh, I've noticed like I've called you the last three days and you didn't call me back or, or, or I got this email from Jim that was kind of cryptic. And what is it, what's going on? Am I missing something here? Are you that person? Are you like, if they don't say anything to me, then maybe it's not bad news. I don't want to ruffle any feathers and I don't want to bring bad news upon myself. Which one are uh, you in that category? Yeah. I am that per I will confront somebody and ask them. But that is hard. Like, I don't know. That's worse than bad news about myself medically for some reason. I am just I do not like people being mad at me. That's the I, I'm <laughs> working on a I'm working on a teen book right now called Are You Mad at Me? Uh -huh. Um and it's for teen girls mostly, you know, because that's a tough thing to go through for kids, mm -hmm. you know friendships and weirdness and i am bad bad at that but i do i jump right in okay. you uh yeah i i usually do i mean i try to be patient at first and i, I always say well maybe you're just overreacting and it, it let things play out and sometimes that's smarter because you find out the person who wasn't calling you back um their plane got stuck in the utah airport and their phone ran out and all yeah, all those kinds of things but yeah i like to sort of get it out in the open Maury had some uh, telltale signs going physically, as you hear here from one of our very early discussions during the Tuesdays with Maury sessions. Anyway, I go see my doctor, and he got no sense that it's neurological. I had hundreds of tests, hundreds, dozens, to find out what's causing this. Till finally, I got a muscle biopsy where they said it's something neurological, not muscular. He kept saying it's some kind of muscle disease. And then I got this EMG, they call it, a mechanogram. I asked them to send me a copy of the results. So I knew before I saw the neurologist that I had a motor neuron disease. And I knew enough about that to know that that was serious. All right, so Maury had some indication. He had been sleeping badly. He had been walking badly. He had been tripping and stumbling and things, and that's what caused him to go to the doctor in the first place, and they started to narrow it down. Still, nobody had said to him, mm -hmm. you have ALS. He hadn't heard mm -hmm. that yet. And then he heard it inside a doctor's office, and this was him telling me his reaction to that. You were in a doctor's office when this happened? No, I think the doctor's office, I was frozen. You know, really not. When he actually yeah. said the words? Yeah. And you didn't even say, so you didn't actually say anything to him at the time no. that he said it. You just were frozen. Yeah. Charlotte was with me. She heard Had you already read up on it? Did you no. know? No. I haven't read a lot. I've read some. I knew enough to know that it was fatal. I knew enough about Lou Gehrig since he was my day. And I remember his speech, you know, and all that sort of thing, which you probably know very well. Today, well, luck I feel like the luckiest man yeah. on the face of the earth. Yeah, well, I didn't say that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he didn't say that. Very few mm. people I know who actually have gotten ALS have said that. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So there is that moment. Now, for Maury, it was ALS. For other people, it's that cancer word. It's just terrible. I don't think there's a worse word in the English language. I really don't than cancer. It is the worst single word. It is never, there is never a time that it is used that it is not in the negative. And when people hear it, when it first applies to them, when they first get diagnosed with, with cancer or for the first time, it's like you have fallen victim to something that's been out there for all this time and you know it's a danger and you know it's a danger but you're hoping it just won't get you it just won't get you and then Mm -hmm. it's got you you know it's like it's the bird flying overhead this giant evil bird and it's swooping down with its talons and who's it going to pluck and and you're just praying don't pluck me don't pluck me and then they you you get plucked and so Mm -hmm. then you are stuck with the news in Maury's case, here in Cut 2, you hear that he, he hardly could accept it even when he was told the actual words. When I finally accepted or heard the fact that I had ALS, I was stunned, overwhelmed, shocked, non-believing, and say, it's not possible. That was my immediate reaction. And then, of course, it's very common to sort of start replaying how you could have gotten this or how you could have reached this bad news in the first place. So if it's the case of the office thing, okay, what did I do? What did I do? You go back a week, you know, did I, did I, did I say something to the boss? Did I write an email? Did I forget mm-hmm. about something? Were they, were they listening in mm-hmm. that time that I was in a conversation? <laughs> I saw them walk by. Did they hear me say something? You know, or, or did some, one of my other coworkers say something to them? You try to, and this is you know, the yep. stage after being stunned. This is, you try to figure it out. You try to mm-hmm. figure it out. You think that in the tracing Somehow you will get an answer somehow to make it better. How did I get this cancer? Oh, was it, you know, from that year that I smoked cigarettes or uh, was <laughs> I exposed to something or, um, you know, do, did I miss something that my parents had and I should have gotten a marker test for it? Your brain goes in all kinds of directions trying to figure out mm-hmm. why you got it, how you got it, as if knowing those things is somehow going to make it better, which it doesn't. Here's Maury talking about that. Absolutely. I wasn't even aware of them. Charlotte was doing the driving. I was, as I say, still somewhat stunned, trying to figure out what the hell is this all about? How did I get it? Why did I get it? I don't know the answer to that yet. How could it happen to me? Just keep going round and round and round, trying to let the reality penetrate. Now, in the first times, don't be surprised if your first round and round only leaves you in a panic, just a panic. You would like to think that 
okay, if I do this digging and get to the bottom of it, find out how I got this, then somehow I will have solved the equation. But these are not math problems. And even if you could figure out, oh, you know, now that I think about it, my father had that and my sister had that, or now that I think about it, I did have that growth that didn't get looked at before and uh, we all thought it was benign and maybe this. Whatever it is, you can get to the bottom of it in terms of where did it come from and all the rest. That will not, not make it go away any more than that conversation. Oh, you know what? I bet he overheard me talking at the, mm-hmm. at the kitchen table and uh, I, I thought I was too loud and now he's acting like he knows it. Even if that's the truth, that's not going to make it go away. But we struggle to come to some kind of understanding. We think if we can understand it, then we can at least somehow put a, a bow around it. And sometimes that works for people. Sometimes you find out, well, this was inevitable and this happens a lot to people my age. Or this happens a lot to people my, of my, uh, my gender or my background or something like that. So um, in any case, you do the scrambling, you do the try to figuring around, and then you're going to find that you're going to need some time. No matter what it is, you're going to get, if it's like getting hit with a shovel, it takes a while to recover from that getting hit with a shovel hit, right? Yeah. As Maury says here in this cut. It doesn't penetrate right away. Mm. It takes time. And I knew that. So I just kept going over and over and over. Yes, yes, yes. It took a while to accept it. Not the first day or even the first week. But I had to keep telling myself, that's who I am now. I disabled and I continually, progressively, disabled person. Mm -hmm. And that's how I will be the rest of my life physically, but not emotionally, and not psychologically, not cognitively. See, now that last part is very important because while it's kind of brutal to say, well, all right, I'm telling myself that's who I am now. I'm going to be disabled. I'm, 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 I'm not going to be able to walk well again or, or, you know, I'm not getting better from this physical thing. And I'm going mm-hmm. to, in his case, just progressively get worse, which is just a horrible thing to have to recognize. It's, it's one thing to say, I'm in bad shape now. It's another thing to say, well, I'm in bad shape now and I'm going to continue to get worse and there's nothing that we can, we're going to be able to do about it. That's why ALS is so insidious. But you notice that he found the thing that he can do. And that's the most important thing. That's the when you're tumbling and you're falling and you feel like you've been pushed out of a plane and you're spinning around and you're grasping and trying to find something to grab onto. The thing you can grab onto is what can you do about this? Mm-hmm. What can you do about the situation you have? Certain things are out of your control and accepting that they're out of your control will be the fastest way that you'll be able to get past the fact that they're out of your control. So what he said he could do was not decay emotionally, psychologically, and cognitively. And that's exactly what Maury did. So even as his body began to betray him and his body began to go downhill, he said, I can control this. I can 
be a certain kind of person. If I can't be the kind of person who goes running 50-yard dashes, if I can't be the kind of person who flies on planes anymore, then I'll be the kind of person who, and in his case, teaches. I'm going to teach about what it's like to die right up until the day I die. I'm going to be helpful to people. I'm going to be kind to people and sensitive to people. I'll use this to, to make me a better person. And in the time I have left, I will be that person. I'll get the chance to be that person. And that's what carried him through. He focused on what he could do in the situation. And whatever your bad news is, okay, let's go back to something less less awful than ALS. Let's go back to that. You know, they were plotting against you at the office. And, uh, and on Friday afternoon at 5.01, they, hey, Lisa, before you go, can you stop in? And you go into the office and, you know, 15 minutes later, right. You, you don't have a job. <gasps> so oh, what did horrible. they take from you? And, and you, you, you be realistic like Maury was about, well, they're taking my physical ability with ALS. They took my job. Okay. They took mm-hmm. my paycheck. But what didn't mm-hmm. they take? They didn't take your freedom. They didn't take your brain. They didn't take your ability to think of another spot. And so you immediately shift over to what you can do instead of what you lost. Okay, now yeah. I can look for a job in that field that I always thought maybe I wanted to get into, but I just didn't have the courage to quit the courage job, current job yeah. I have. You know, a new opportunity. New opportunity. Now I can touch base with some friends and ask them wholeheartedly, "Hey, is there anything good over there that you have?" Take a break for a while. I by can the way. take a break for a while. I can spend more time doing the things that I wanted to do. You find the things that you can do. And focus on that and not the things that you can no longer do. And there's a reason for that. If you focus on the things you can't do, you focus on the negative, you focus on the things that are going wrong, there's darkness down that alley, as Maury points out here. I had to make a decision. Because if I didn't, I could have sunk into depression. Because that's not difficult to do. Some people kill themselves when they learn they have a fatal disease. They don't want to go through it. I don't want to go through it either. But if I'm going to go through it, I'm going to go through it differently from the way most people do it. It's kind of ironic when he says that, and he's accurate. You know, people get a fatal disease diagnosis, and then they kill themselves. It's like, well, wait a minute. You just got a diagnosis that you were going to die, but not for a while, and maybe not for a number of years, and your immediate... You say, this is so bad, this is so bad, that I'm just going to mm-hmm. kill myself now. Mm. That's the opposite of what Maury was saying about, okay, whatever time I have left or whatever my new situation is, how do I make it better? How do I go through it and be it better? And he was able to go through as a terminal patient. He was able to go through life teaching and helping and making a difference in people's lives. And that was huge for him. And he would later say to me, as months and years passed, that this was the biggest blessing in many ways that he had ever had in his life. Because by knowing his time was really limited, not the kind of, you know, we all know we're going to die, but nobody believes it thing. Where, yeah, I know it's coming sometime soon, but I'm 78, and, you know, I probably got another 5, 10, 15 years to go, and I'm just going to consider that. He had, he was told, okay, no, you don't, but... You do have a few more years, and these few more years, now that you realize you're not going to have forever, these few more years, you have an opportunity to make them something special, and that's what he did. He made them something special. 
And so that's an opportunity that doesn't always come. And you look at that as, okay, this is what I got for what I had to give up. Mm-hmm. But if you just hang on to what I had to give up, oh, I lost my job. I love that job. Now I'm never going to work in that place again. Uh, you know, I made so much money and now I'm never going to get that same paycheck again. You're, you're, you're only going to keep yourself from moving forward in the time that you have left or the career time that you have left going forward. So that's the, the, the last sort of point is to find what you can do, decide that you're, you're not going to do what people do often, the worst case scenario people do so when they get terminal illnesses, they kill themselves or when they lose a job, they jump out the window. Or, you're not going to do that. Because by not doing that, you're, making, you're taking a stance. By saying, I'm not going to do the worst thing, you're saying, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to fight my yeah. own path. I'm going to have my own battle here. It may be shorter than I thought. It may be whatever, but I'm going to fight it. And in the fighting, you can start to rally and find a new part of yourself, whether it be finding that new job or, or going to a doctor or facing the music on that or, or facing life after a divorce or whatever the case may be. All of this... It's applicable to when you get that bad news. You get that pink slip. You get that letter from the lawyer. Uh, you get served a subpoena. Uh, you know, you find out that, that x-ray that they're reading is not good news. All of that affords you an opportunity to try to grab hold of what time you have left. And all of us are on finite time, no matter what. So even if it's not a medical thing, we still are all on finite time and you lose a job. You say, well, how many more years do I have working? What should, what do I want to do? What kind of job do I want to do? I can't tell you how many people I've met whose second job, second careers, they're so much happier than their first. And mm-hmm. I, I ask them and I, I, they seem so happy frequently that I say, you know, so how you've been doing this since you got out of school? No, they say, actually, uh, believe it or not, I was a stockbroker for 20 years. I go, you're mm-hmm. kidding me. This is so opposite of stockbroking. I know I was miserable, and I found this, and that's why they're so happy. Or no, believe it or not, I was in law enforcement for 20 years, and now I'm you know, making pizzas. You know, I never knew I yeah. could be so happy. <laughs> so uh, frequently, you, know, you find when people say, now, um, they could have said after 40 years or 20 years on the job, damn it, I wasted 20 years being a police officer, and I, this was my calling. Why did I waste that time? I wasted 20 years on Wall Street, and I could have been working with kids. Why did I waste that time? But you can't lament that. You can't lament that Mm -hmm. time. You just look at the time that you have and say, how can I make the most of this? And part of your ability to make the most of it does come from the fact that you spent time in something that wasn't pleasant. So you might not be as fervent about working at it if you didn't know how much you hated the alternative. And the same thing can be said for, you know, even bad medical things, you know, when you decide, okay, I'm going to live, I'm really going to live, you know, a lot and, and in the moment and do things I wanted to do because I don't know how much longer I have. If you didn't get that diagnosis, you never would have approached it that way. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. one day comes, you get hit by a truck. And as the truck's about to hit, you go, wait, I got all these things I got to do. Yeah. So <laughs> even in that, there are sometimes some silver linings. So we don't yeah. wish anybody bad news ever. But in this life, bad news comes eventually about you, about somebody you love, and how you handle it will determine what the experience will be in the days, weeks, months, and years that follow. So hopefully there are some tips here in the way that Maury handled it 
fighting it at first, you know, being stunned, being frozen, all that, then arguing where did it come from, then looking into, you know, trying to solve the thing, then taking a few days or a few weeks to try to really accept it, but ultimately saying, okay, I accept that this is going to happen, but I'm not going to give up this, this, and this, and then focusing on that this, this, and this that you're going to use to battle the bad circumstance. That's the best way to handle this bad news. So hopefully that helps. We will be back again very shortly to do this all over again. If you like what you heard, you can go to our website. Lisa, tell them all about that. Uh, You can go to wetuesdaypeople.com and everything is there. All the information you need to know. There are links there to our um, Facebook page and all of our other social media. And uh, join our Facebook group, which is kind of my favorite thing here because we get to talk to all the people that listen to our show and they they, uh, always have great comments about our shows and insight and everything. So please come join us. And until we get an opportunity to speak with you again, on behalf of Lisa Goich, I am Mitch Album saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People. <laughs>